The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Reverend Werner Ramirez in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's Reverend Werner Ramirez. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, starting at verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came were with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It starts with that phone call or with that message that informs us that everything is not all right. There's been an accident or she had a heart attack and we're rushing her to the hospital now. We get that message and fear, sadness and confusion all hit us at the very same time. A few verses before the passage that we just read, we see Jesus receive a message about his friend Lazarus. Who was Lazarus? Lazarus was Jesus's friend. Yes, Jesus had his disciples, but he had also other friends beside him. And we know this from the Gospels. In John's Gospel, he is close to Mary, who will wash Jesus's feet with perfume and her hair. He was close with her and her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. In just a few short verses, we know that they have an established relationship. Some commentators think that their friendship was around for perhaps a few years. Certainly Jesus had most likely been over to their house for a meal. Jesus and Lazarus were actual friends. Yet Lazarus becomes sick and Jesus gets that message that we all fear. He who you love is ill. And Jesus and the disciples begin to discuss how and when they're going to visit Lazarus. And I know that many of you know what that's like to get that message that a loved one is ill. You think of what preparations you must do to travel to see them. And you think, do they have much time? What are we going to do with the kids? There's all these logistical things you must do. But in the midst of it, you are a wreck. When I first started in youth ministry, one of the youths at my church was a sophomore in high school, Alex Bradley. He was a goofy kid that liked pop punk and emo music just like I did. So naturally, we would talk about music and about faith. And him and I got especially close his junior year when his girlfriend broke up with him and he was terribly heartbroken. He had all the feelings and we walked that journey of grief together. But then we lost touch a little bit in his early college years, but then we re reconnected again when he got back together with his girlfriend and then they broke up again. <laughs> Yet as the years went by, Alex was no longer the goofy youth group kid, but he became my friend. Alex and a few other guys who were closer to my age formed a little group. And although, although Alex was younger than us, we loved having him around. He was the puppy dog of our group. 
He was loud and funny and ready to give everyone a big bear hug. And something silly that he really liked to do is he liked to take people to go get a piece of pie and then he would take a picture with them making a sad face with the pie and he called it hashtag sad with pie. It was the silliest, dumbest thing ever because you can't actually be sad with pie. <laughs> Alex was an absolute joy to be around him. And once I came to the East Coast, I could count on a big bear hug from Alex whenever I found my way west for a visit. And in the summer of 2017, I got that phone call that nobody wants to get. I was doing my chaplaincy internship at a hospital in Pennsylvania, and I get a call from his younger sister who was also in my youth group. Alex had passed away in a terrible car accident. I got permission to leave work early that day, and as I drove back home, I was frozen. I couldn't think. And as soon as I got into my apartment in Princeton, April was waiting for me. And as soon as I saw her, all I could do was cry and cry and cry. I was devastated. I had lost one of my best friends. As I think about this last year, I've had so many conversations with you about the grief that you are going through. From the loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, loss of relationships and friendships, loss of pregnancies, and even loss of expectation. Grief has sneaked up on us in ways that we expect, in ways that we did not expect. Grief is complicated. It's a journey that's distinct to each person, and although many have experienced the same loss, each person has their own way of grieving. And why do we grieve? I'm convinced we grieve because we love. Now bear with me for a split second as I talk about the Marvel Universe. In the Marvel show WandaVision, Vision is a synthetic android created to be an ultimate superhero. But since he isn't human, he's learning human concepts. Now Vision and Wanda are discussing grief and loss, especially the loss of one of Wanda's loved ones. And Vision, in a moment of deep emotional reflection, says, what is grief if not love persevering? What is grief if not love persevering? So if we grieve because we love, why does it feel like love can betray us? I thought love was good and pure, so why would love stab us in the back like that? Again, grief is complicated, but feelings of anger and questioning love and God and its, and its existence are quite normal. But let's return to the passage. So many people are sad about Lazarus. There is a crowd of friends and family, perhaps even professional mourners. Mary has just lost her brother. And in deep grief, anger comes out and she lashes out at Jesus. If you were here, he would still be alive. In your anger, have you ever said anything that you later regretted? You said something that was unfair to a person you really love? I know I have. And I wonder if this is the same for Mary here. There are many people there mourning Lazarus' loss, but her grief is her own. It was her brother whom she loved. Yes, her sister Martha also lost a brother, but relationships are different. And Mary's journey of grief is her own. We don't know from the passage how Martha grieved, but we know from this that Mary is experiencing some anger, which is fair. It's part of grief. And then we have Jesus. 
We don't know exactly what Jesus is feeling. Perhaps he has some regret for not getting there sooner. Perhaps Mary's words really did sting. He arrives and it says that he's deeply moved and disturbed in spirit. And I think Jesus was sad. Like really sad. Distraught that his friend had died. And then Jesus does one of the most human things we can do when we are sad. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. In preparation for the sermon, I talked to one of my good friends, Maya. Maya is an emo kid like me, but she's also an excellent therapist out in Texas. And as the good emo kid that she is, her practice is called sad girl counseling. <laughs> I asked her about this passage and I asked her, what is important to you? And she said, it's comforting to her that the person we believe to be God incarnate actually knows the, pain, the feeling of pain and grief. He was a person who experienced grief and sat in it. We can't fully understand his grief, what his grief was like, like we cannot fully understand what your grief is like. Yet we know that Jesus experienced it. I think I find that comforting as well. Research shows that some of the best grief counselors are people who experience grief themselves. So for me, it is important that the person whom we believe to be our savior knows grief and pain. Jesus, Jesus feels, not just in this moment, but also in his betrayal by Judas and also in his death on the cross. I trust my Savior even more because I know that Christ can empathize and sympathize with grief and pain. So I want to acknowledge your pain, your hurt, and your grief. I know it's tough. Whether your loss was fairly recent or from many years ago, your pain is still your own. I know from many of you that even from losses from decades ago, it is still fresh in some of your minds. Pain is real and it's part of your story. Yet I am confident that it will not define your story. Pain is real, it's part of your story, but I'm confident that it will not define your story. When grief rumbles up, I do want to reassure you that you do not have to go through this pain alone. I often hear from people that they are ashamed when they feel angry towards God for the hardship that they're going through. They're scared that their doubt or anger will make God angry. Yet scripture actually gives us examples of people yelling at God for the pain that they're going through. So I said, so I say, go ahead and give God the business. God can take it. I promise. This is called lament. Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? The psalmist is begging the divine to answer. Even Christ lamented to God on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet most of the psalms of lament end with an assurance of trust in God's unfailing love. It feels like the psalmist is shouting, I'm so mad at you, this hurts, but... Damn it! I still trust you. I don't know why, but I trust you. 
And it may be completely hard to trust God in moments of grief. Like really, really hard. But when I remember that God has also experienced grief and pain, it makes me wonder about the ways that the Holy Spirit will use to care for those in pain. I am convinced that God is an active and loving God looking for ways to care for you. And I do believe God uses people to do just that. I wonder if community, church, and therapy are all ways God is saying, how can I hold some of this weight for you? As convinced as I am that we grieve because we love, I'm also convinced that it is love that will support us in our grief when we need it most. The novel Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry is about the title character as she reflects and navigates love, loss, and the changing landscape of rural America. And in the story, she says, what is the thread that holds us all together? Grief, I thought for a while. And grief is there, sure enough, just about all the way through. From the time I was a girl, I have never been far from it. But grief is not a force and has no power to hold. You only bear it. Love is what carries you. For it's always there, even in the dark, or most in the dark. But shining out at times like gold stitches in a piece of embroidery. If love can carry us through grief, then we must take the time to sit in grief and address it. And that journey is a tough one, but it can be healing. I like the way that poet and rapper Dessa puts it in her song, Good Grief. She asks, they say that there's good grief, but how can you tell it from the bad? And for her, she decides that she wants the type of grief that brings forth healing. She says, I want that good grief, the one that heals me, that leaves me clarified by fire when I'm burned clean, tempered by light and heat, and by the dead of morning, I'll be better for it. So how can we have good grief? Good grief is best done in community, and I know that it can be incredibly tough to talk about what you feel with people. Yet that is the tempering of light and heat that will mold us to move forward. And friends, I cannot emphasize enough how good a professional therapist can be. It's hard at times to find one that's a good fit for you or is your vibe, but these helpers are professionally trained to help you sit in the places that we tend to ignore. So do some research on what therapists around you can work for you. But I do lament how tough it can be to find the right one. But help is out there. If your grief is the loss of a loved one, we still have a few spots in our online bereavement group that's coming this fall, run by a great therapist who's been helping our congregation for years. If you're interested in that, please do reach out to us at congregationalcare at fapc.org. If you want to talk to us here at the church, we're here too. We can help lift some of the weight for you as well. We're good listeners, and we're probably still going to refer you to therapy. But pastoral counseling is something that we are willing to do. We won't judge your feelings. We will put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. We will do our best to care for you. The weight can be heavy, and we want to do what we can to make that burden just a little bit lighter. You do not have to face grief alone. Help is out there.
The summer that my friend Alex passed away, I also had an unexpected pacemaker surgery. Very different from the one from last year. The one from last year was way more intense and I had to have many conversations with my therapist about that one. But the one from 2017 was a much quicker recovery, but it was still annoying nonetheless. In the midst of that surgery and Alex's passing, I was doing a hospital chaplaincy internship as well. And towards the end of the internship, we had to write a theological reflection paper on suffering. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. My supervisor, who was very instrumental in helping me deal with my personal grief, said, I think this assignment will be good for you. He was right. He was helping me deal with my grief. So I'd like to share a portion of it with you. Now, for some context, I was working at a hospital, so a lot of that kind of bleeds into what I wrote. But I was also very, and, st and still am, very influenced by the theology that I have found um, at a farm at Princeton Seminary called the Farminary. So in it, I compare God to a divine farmer. Now, I'm not completely sure what I wrote that I have it completely right. Um, actually, I know I don't at times. Um, I'm still wrestling with what I wrote. But what I wrote was honest and healing for me at that time. When a plant is sick, sometimes the gardener needs to prune off some of it so that it can live. Perhaps hospitals are a place where some of that pruning happens. It hurts and there is pain involved, but the pruning is sometimes necessary in order to save the plant, which leads us to the question of suffering. Does God cause it? Perhaps in the case of pruning, God is in that pain and causes some of that source of pain. Yet this is done with love so that, so that one can live. I think of my surgery. <laughs> I really hated it. I'm still sore and it really brought a huge damper on my summer. Yet I know that it was necessary for my heart to be working correctly. If a plant were able to talk to the farmer, I think the plant would have a mixture of pain and gratitude. So perhaps some pain is caused by God but in order to help bring redemption to that person. Then there are times that pain and hurt do not feel like pruning, but it feels like a storm that has swallowed up the whole field and suffocated the plant. Suffering like this, I do not believe is caused by God. A farmer does not cause a storm. A farmer can do whatever she can to protect the harvest from a storm, but storms still happen. In one of my classes at the farminary, we visited Canada, North Carolina to help learn from Reverend Joyner about how his farm and church have helped resurrect his small town. His town was being swallowed up by disease and death due to lack of nutrition. His farm has changed the system of the town and reduced hospital visits by 90%. While we were there, we helped plant some cabbage, cabbage that was already bought by the local hospital. A few weeks later, we learned that a terrible storm came and it flooded the cabbage. We were devastated. We, as the farmers, were devastated. I think that when an unexpected storm are thrown into our lives, God, like the farmer, is devastated. They mourn and grief the loss of the harvest. I think this is why Jesus wept when he learned of Lazarus' death. I think God wept and was sad by the tragic death of my friend Alex. I do not believe that was pruning, but a storm. Cancer can be a storm. The illness that people face when they, came, when they come to the hospital can be a storm. 
Yet while in a storm some plants die, but others remain with bruises and grieving the loss of their sibling plants. Again, if they could talk, I think they would be angry at the farmer. Why didn't you do more to protect us and the crops that died? You weren't even here during the storm. You were probably in the safety of your shelter while we were drowning. Yet if we're going to survive at all, we still have to trust in you if we're going to continue to grow. I think this is consistent with the Psalms of Lament. Psalms like Psalm 13 say, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But I trust in your unfailing love. Psalms like, like these have kept me sane this summer in the midst of suffering. It's been comforting to give God the business and yell at God for all the hardship of the summer. Where are you during the storm is the question I would ask most consistently. But like that plant, I needed to trust the love of the farmer if I had any chance to survive. Like I mentioned earlier, I believe the farmer weeps for the lost harvest and the hardship of its fruits. And as these plants beg to know where the farmer is, perhaps they could not see that the farmer is digging trenches as she is soaked by the rain and doing all that she can to protect the farm, knowing that there will be some loss. The farmer is in the storm all along, doing what is right to protect her crops. And when the storm passes, she is still right there to care for the garden that she deeply loves. Friends, pain and grief is real. Yet I also believe that love is real. And God is love. Therefore, we have the hope that love will move us forward. Friends, may you go in peace knowing that the God that created you deeply cares for you. For you are God's beloved and you are enough. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.